And so I actually ended up dropping out of high school, not once, but twice. I never graduated. And while all my friends were off to college, I was living with my parents, gaming up to 16 hours a day in their basement. I remember I was, I was drunk when they handed me my son in the hospital. They didn't know I was drunk. I worked with people who could stay abstinent from crack cocaine. And then they went back to prison because they could not stay abstinent from marijuana. They will send inappropriate pictures, primarily of their body parts. Our teens will send back their naked pictures or partially naked pictures. I had overdosed in eighth grade. I think that was shortly after I was suspended. Our teens are going through their hardest life transition in a world of rapid change and information anarchy. These are their stories and the advice from experts dedicated to helping them. Welcome to Beyond Risk and Back. Since we've opened, I've had the opportunity to work with uh, gay, bisexual, children, uh, children in transition, gender neutral. And I have found myself at times causing problems with the words I use, the, the misunderstandings that I have. Um, it causes frustration. And I've watched children who are dealing with the changes going on in their bodies and in their hearts things that they have felt since they were very, very young, that when they come out to their parents, that their parents do the same thing that I've done, which is sometimes cause more pain. Sometimes it's intentional because the parents think that everything should fit around two very clearly defined stereotypes of male and female, but life is not that simple. And I don't understand how to completely make the transition with my understanding of there being more than two genders. So I have with me some people from Queer Asterisk, and they get it. This podcast is going to be part conversation, and I'm sure part frustration for them, and part schooling for me, because... If I say something wrong, which I know I will, they're going to stop me and educate me. And I'm going to write it down because I want to do this right. I want to get past not understanding and just being okay and being comfortable with not understanding. I want to get into embracing that there's more going on here with gender than we understand and that we think and that it's expanding. And then it's always been expansive. And there's been a um, systematic shutting down of people's experience of who they are so that they can fit into our ego. Osho describes ego as society's rules so that society can survive. But see, society doesn't give a shit about the individual. Society's laws, society's rules is for society's survival. And this gender question has made people feel like society is being threatened, so they shove it back down. And I have discovered that I have been party to that. And it's because I don't understand it. So my guests today are Luca, Frida, and Soren from Queer Asterisk. And this is going to be the schooling of me, I'm sure. But what I want is I want... I don't want us to get it straight. I want us to get it queer. I want us to get this because our children are going through this. Adults have denied this for too long and need to go through it if this is what's going on. So the title of today's show is I Can See Queerly Now. Welcome to Beyond Risk and Back. Uh, and, and I already find myself as an impasse because I want to say, okay, you guys, let's get into this. But I'm, I feel like I'm in a minefield because I don't want to piss people off. I don't want to hurt feelings and I don't want to sound insensitive and probably secretly, I don't want to be wrong, but I am wrong. And that's why I'm doing this. So what do I say? How do I start and say 
all of us here, let's do this. <laughs> we overthink this, don't we? Yes. Like, okay. But it takes a little uh, vigilance, I think, just to notice how embedded gender is in everything. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And I just want to acknowledge, too, uh, that that was a, a wonderful way to start with um, uh, uh, knowing that you're going to get it wrong um, and enter the conversation that way. I work with the parents. Now, that's one of the main things I do at the facility because I got a great team and they're working with the kids, so I work with the parents. And so the questions I asked today, uh, the, the things that we go through, you guys, you've, Soren, you've written some of them. I know what parents have said. Um, you're going to bring questions that you've heard uh, expressed by people who don't understand. And I want to I want to jump right in, Luca, with with something that I was saying before, and and it felt like I was um, setting up myself to be in relationship with you as someone who could be easily connected with by saying, "I don't care. I don't care if someone's gay or straight or bi or d d d gender neutral or I don't care." And you you schooled me. You rocked me back on my heels. So tell me why not caring is not enough. Mm, sure. Yeah, I think, you know, the main thing that stands out to me when someone says uh, they don't care is really, um, though it may be coming from a place of, like you were saying, really wanting to focus on the ways that we do connect and the ways that we do relate as people and wanting to find that unity in a relationship communicating that you don't care can really be dismissive of something that's really important to be seen in another person. So if I'm coming into a relationship with you, Aaron, and I'm saying, I am a transgender person, um, that really affects my experience of the world or it affects my, or if I'm coming into your care at your facility, that really affects my experience of my depression, of my addiction, um, my experience of, you know, finding a place in work and healing, um, feeling comfortable enough in my own skin to receive services, to heal, um, it's really important to me that you do care about that. Um, and even if you don't understand the experience of someone who is transgender, you being able to say, you know, here, here's my goal is to be able to connect with you and to find this unity and this human experience. And I understand that the way that we get to that is to me, is by me, uh, being willing to be uncomfortable with what I may not understand and to, and to hear you out um, in the things that you may need me to listen to or support you in areas that I may, I may not completely understand because I do value that. Um, it's something that I need to care about, right? Yeah, and and what I got, and you used, when we were off air talking, you used the the example of when people say, I don't see color, sure. which, which I've never bought that one. And for the exact reason that you said is that to really understand what's taking place, we need to. We need to see what black Americans are going through and what black Africans are going through. We need to understand what a Mexican immigrant's life is like, the sexual harassment that takes place in a job that they're in because they have no laws to protect them. So we need to see color first before we just whitewash it and say, I don't see and therefore I don't have to be uncomfortable is the, is the right. word that you were saying. Yeah, if we, I mean, if I think, you know, Back to some ways I've definitely felt um, as a young person wanting connection and wanting to feel unity and place and community. I think that um, I definitely relate to that. You know, I want to feel this sense of of one uh, one race, one tribe, one love. That language gets used a lot in um, contemplative communities, in communities committed to personal work, because there's this idea that that's our our ultimate goal is is this sort of unity that really lacks diversity. Um, and I really just want to challenge that um, both in my own thinking um, and in relationship with others, because honestly, if I think about what I really want and want to be a part of, it's not a homogenous experience. The beauty of being a person um, is getting to experience diversity in different ways, right? And if we can't hold the conflicts or tensions that arise in diversity and as a result of a diverse population, then I think we're really missing out on like all of the magic of being human. You're um, you're you're starting to bring up 
what what, I, what what's coming up for me as I'm as I'm listening to that is that there there's a requirement not just for acknowledgement but for understanding and then um, making space for treatment and I don't mean mental health treatment or addiction treatment I'm talking about another bathroom I'm talking about and and when you watch the feeds on on Facebook and social media and stuff like that about, oh, you know, now how many bathrooms are we going to end up with in Target? How many bathrooms do we need to need to make? Is that is that what's being asked of you or is it is it deeper than that? Is that is that a little kind of blinding powder to get us talking about bathrooms instead of talking about the real issue? Um, I mean, why hearing that is is why hearing a lot of this argument of like, if we start if we start making amendments to the way things are for this right. one person, then where does it stop? Where does it stop? That That's fair, it. And you named this in the beginning of like, it's going to ruin all of society. And so much of that is like based on how do we compartmentalize each other? And if we keep using this model of compartmentalization, right? Binary male bathroom, female bathroom, we're going to have to have another bathroom for this and another bathroom for that. It's like, how do we keep everyone separate when really like, what if the question was, how do we actually exist together? How do we trust each other enough and ourselves enough? Um, and those who keep us safe in our societal roles enough to be able to use a multi-stall bathroom with people who have multiple different experiences of, of their gender and different gender identities, um, which we already do, right? It's like, even though we have this structure of there's a men's bathroom and a women's bathroom, you're already sharing spaces, peeing next to someone who has a different experience of the world than you. And more times than not, everyone is safe in that situation. The people who aren't safe are those who are targeted and threatened um, because they're identified as being a deviant from who needs to fit in that binary box. Um, so what happens actually if we uh, don't, you know, create more and more boxes for everyone, but create safer spaces where we all are able to exist in a more safe way because we are already all sharing those spaces together. What does it look like to, to make our spaces that we currently have more safe? And let's talk about the physical thing. What would you want changed in a bathroom so that it was safe for everybody? Um, I mean, I think Soren was saying this at a, at a training we were doing recently. Um, this is Frida, by the way. Um, just about having, you know, having a sign that says all genders or um, gender neutral or, or um, something outside of the binary, little in indicators that show that there's been thought put into this and that this is something that we're, we're trying to understand, even if it's not fully understood. Those little things can really go a long way in terms of, you know, me seeing something like that and being like, okay, well, you know, I I'm going into those spaces already sort of assuming that it's not for me. So to see that there's some effort that's been put into, um, yeah, having having indicators that this is a safer space or that there's at least been thought put into it, um, I think goes a, a long way, actually. Yeah. yeah, and then the really important follow-up is um, you can't just slap a gender-neutral sign up on a bathroom without having culture to support the safety right. of all the people who use that now gender-neutral bathroom. So if at your treatment center you have a gender-neutral bathroom and someone gets bullied by using it, or shit goes down in the in the bathroom. Um, <laughs> that's not number two. Um, can our staff going to be there to uphold um, the norms of this is a gender neutral bathroom? Everyone gets to use this space, and absolutely no one will be bullied, no matter their gender identity or expression, by going in there. Um, so you need to have not only the physical safeties, but also the cultural backing of um, this is our norm here, our new norm. Are there any corporations or businesses that are doing well? How's Disney doing? How's Target doing? How, like, are there any big corporations that you feel that you want to support because they're being very supportive of, of you? In some small ways. I mean, Target definitely comes to mind just in, as a consumer and person who shops there, you know, little things like their PR of like when something, when there's an issue, taking a stand and not being... Um, not shying away from some of the more tense issues that we're talking about nationally. Um, but I don't feel comfortable saying, you know, this corporation is like, has a stamp of queer approval by any means for any corporation. Um, but I definitely think that it has a really big impact when, when someone with such a 
large voice um, nationally, internationally can can say, you know, no, we're actually going to protect all of our customers um, in using whatever restroom they select, or we're going to, and we have an, an option other than a men's room and a women's restroom, um, or we're going to, you know, de-color code our children's toy section, or we're going to move to just a children's wear section instead of a girl's section and a boy's section. And, um, you know, I think that's a lot of sort of the first step we talk to with organizations, whether it's a corporation, a clothing store, a, you know, creative space, um, a business, a hospital, like how are you segregating by gender and why? And does it actually serve your clients? Um, does it serve your customers? Does it serve your staff? And what are some other ways that you can go about that? So currently there's one off the top of your head and they don't even get the, the full shout out. That sucks. Yeah, I don't, I'm, I'm not so up to date about what corporations are doing or not doing, um, other than what I see in the news. Yeah, not too much comes to mind. So this, this for me brings up the idea of change, okay? That, that we're, we're talking about, you know, uh, um, getting people on an individual level to, to make changes, corporations, we're talking about the whole world. These are all just microcosms of everybody. If we're going to be one tribe, then there has to be an embracing of everything going on. It doesn't feel like this is going to happen fast for the transgender community. And I'm going to push back again on like, I don't want to be one tribe. I don't want to assimilate into a culture okay. that says that difference uh, shouldn't matter. Right. You know, I fair enough. And so, and with that, though, you know, I think taking those maybe values of if we're going to be one tribe um, is like how, yeah, if we're going to coexist together. right? And, at the very least, to... love like we're one tribe or accept right. like we're one tribe. Right. Because, yeah, I mean, I think if you want to get like really broad about humanity and time, like there's always been significant different, significant difference and significant ways of doing things. But we've all we all have these common threads of human experience. And that definitely gets lost in how we know how to relate to each other when we get caught up on how different someone may be than us, we forget that we all rely on the world to survive, right? We all rely on love to survive. We all need sleep. We all need food. Um, so I think that it's an important return to commonality while still holding some really significant differences and valuing those. So that we can begin to bridge into supporting parents and teachers and clinicians yeah. to support their kids and clients and students. Tell me about Queer Asterisk and how, who your clients are, who comes to your groups, uh, sessions. Tell me about your population that you work with. Okay. Um, looking at me. <laughs> so um, I like that you sort of distinguish between some of the different things that we do because I would say that um, our clinical services, our therapy services are really... Um, draw a broad spectrum of people um, with all different kinds of identities, um, different ages and experiences, um, generally within the LGBTQ uh, communities. And um, But in terms of our groups, it's definitely what we found is um, people that are really interested in the word queer. Um, and and maybe we can get into a little bit how, how we are conceptualizing and distinguishing between queer and LGBT um, spaces and organizations, um, but there is a real um, interest and um, excitement about uh, queer identity. And so, and that tends to be more of the millennial, um, you know, 20s, 30s, something. Because I want to say, because my generation, queer indicates gay, but right. there's a difference, you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Explain it. Well, and, and so I, I always like to say that this is just my, you know, for me, this is what it is, and maybe everybody here can chime in a little bit. Um, for me, queer is, um, gay, it, for me, has been a gateway into queer, but it's not synonymous with queer, in that being gay, or formally identifying as gay and having that experience, um, I sort of, yeah, the boxes and the roles that society had, had laid out for me didn't work, and so it really forced me to start to question a lot of the assumptions that we that we have about ourselves and the world and each other and how this should all be working. Um, and so that really is more of the essence of, of queer identity is, is that willingness to really challenge all of these boxes and assumptions and labels that we 
put on ourselves, put on each other. Um, and also a willingness to not label yourself, to not even get it necessary, you know, to not be so, um, yeah, so subscribe to this notion that unless I understand or get something, it's valid or not. Mm -hmm. And so wow. really what the, what I think queer, you know, a more queer um, lens is like, I don't need to understand necessarily exactly your experience to respect you as a person and to honor your truth and your identity. Um, and that is not necessarily a conversation I would say that even a lot, you know, some folks in the LGBT community are having, you know, there's, there's a term called heteronormativity. There's also a term called homonormativity and, but you know, and the, and the commonality in those two words is normativity. So really I think queer is about um, challenging normativity in general. Uh, yeah. And so that is really a, 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 an alive conversation that I think, um, you know, millennials are having. And also there are, there are people in other generations um, that are, that are resonating with the freedom inherent in not needing to label myself and put myself in a box to, to be valid and, and exist in the world. That's amazing because there's a, there's a process that we teach parents called mirror validate empathize, right? And it's a very simple listening process. It's not a consequence. It's not a way of, it's just a way of listening so that the conversation with your child continues. And the parents always get stuck on the validate. Because when a child says, I hate you so much, I'm just going to kill myself. How do you validate that? Mm -hmm. And the, but, but you just answered it. You answered it by saying it can be valid without your understanding. Mm -hmm. Like, like, and, and I have spent so much time trying to help people understand how their children are thinking so that they could validate what their children are saying. But you're actually saying, can you get comfortable not understanding at all and still validated. Mm -hmm. And that's what you're saying that queer holds that space. Is that it doesn't matter if you understand it. Are you still okay with it? Can you still be with it? Can you still love? Yeah. Yeah. Do you all have anything to add? Yeah. Something that I would like to add is um, just a, a, a common pushback that I've, I've gotten from parents since we're speaking on parents and when they're trying to understand, wrestle with the idea that their child is coming out as gender queer, gender fluid, whatever it may be, um, and they don't understand. Um, one of the pushbacks we usually get is, um, is this a phase? This must is be it a phase. fad? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so um, I can answer that from a clinical perspective later, if you wish, um, as far as, you know, DSM diagnoses and how to understand if this is a phase of fad or not. Soren, you have a master's in uh, psychology. So I'm a licensed professional counselor and also a licensed addictions counselor. Okay. Um, but what right now what I wanted to speak to is something that I've been rolling around in my mind for a while now in my heart, um, which is that. You know what? Actually, I think that there is a, a phase, a trend that's happening in our society at large, um, in millennial generation, younger generations as well. Um, and it expands beyond even um, LGBT folks. And that is a movement towards people wanting to and pushing to um, to self-express, to define themselves by how they choose to define themselves and not by um, uh, words, schemas that have been passed down through their legacy. So let's say my father was a doctor, his father was a doctor, um, and so now I'm going to grow up to be the best doctor that I can. Um, and I think that, that um, you know, those gender roles um, are, are feeling a little bit constricting to more people than queer folks. Um, but I think that queer folks have been struggling with this and negotiating this in, in their systems and in, in, the, in society for a, for a while. And have, we have a lot to learn from queer folks about how um, to, to self-express and self-identify. So you're, if, I can, if I can say it again or mansplain it, <laughs> you're there you're there is there is this idea that this is a phase but it's a phase of rejection rejecting the value systems that have been established by the older generations which is perfectly normal say i'm going to be mean by not being you which is developmentally appropriate and 
what the the younger generations, the millennials, the I generation are saying is that this is about free self-expression. And sometimes I feel this way and sometimes I feel that way and stop trying to catch me where I am and hold me there. I can be fluid. Is that is that accurate? I, I would say definitely that I feel like I'm noticing this trend. Um, and and I, it's um, a little bit controversial to say, to expand um, the word queerness as an umbrella term beyond LGBTQIA folks. And so I know that I'm saying something controversial in saying that because there are unique experiences to being gay, to um, having a non-binary gender um, that are different than I want to be a lawyer, not a doctor like my father was. Right. <laughs> um, but at the same time, I do feel like um, there's something that's happening more globally. Um, and I think that queer folks, um, in the sense of, you know, folks with, uh, um, you know, gender variant experiences, sexuality variant experiences, um, have something to offer to that conversation. Okay. So now let's, let's jump into the, okay, wait, you want to say something? <laughs> One more thing. Yeah, on this go topic. for it. Um, I just, I can't let the um, conversation about millennials happen without saying um, that while millennials, you know, are really at the forefront of a lot of the conversations that are coming around about queerness right now, um, this is in no way, queerness is not something that has only existed sure. for the last 20 years. Um, you know, non-binary people, trans people who are binary, um, queer identified folks, people who whose genders and sexualities have never fit into, um, you know, cisgender or binary categorization have always have not only have they always existed, but they've always been um, really leading society, um, I believe, toward looking at at how our compartmentalization fails us um, and have been, you know, in many indigenous communities to spirit individuals have been teachers and healers um, and have been looked to as um, really as resources for a wisdom that wasn't available in a lot of sort of the norm normative um, identities. So yeah, just, that's, that's, well, mm -hmm. yeah, well, while there may be like a resurgence in um, information, there's so much more information more readily accessible. I think that's why we're like, Oh my God, everyone is all my young people are queer now. <laughs> right. Um, and I do think that, you know, having what happens when you have words available to you that mirror who you are. Um, I think there's a lot of folks who are who don't make that millennial cut, who are older now, um, maybe more middle aged, who are like, wow, if this had if this language had been accessible to me when I was a young person, I wouldn't just identify as a lesbian. I wouldn't just identify um, as cisgender. I would have had so much more permission to have an expansive understanding of who I am. Um, and so I think that it, I think that that's part of why we think, you know, there's more queer kids now than there were before. I just think that more people at an earlier age are able to discover who they are. Yeah. And the phase, just to clarify too, is not that there are, um, you know, multiple gender identities. The, the phase is that there's permission and that there's this desire to self-identify and moving away from more of this. I would say patriarchal system that says, this is who you, you know, I'm the authority figure. I'm going to tell you who you are, what you should want, what you should like, what you should do with your life. I mean, these are all, these are all ways that I know I grew up, you know, to some degree. Um, and so the phase, I, the fad would be to that people are starting to realize, no, actually I get to say who I am and what I want and what I'm going to do with my life. Um, and that's my business, but, but, um, yeah, variants and gender identity and, and sexual orientation and relationship style and all of those things have existed. There, there's, there's a, there's a space in here where I, I question in my mind. Um, and, and the question sounds like this, what happened that you've ended up like this? Like that, that there's an assumption that there's a wounding or a trauma or something that has taken place, you know, is this, and, and, and of course, uh, in, in, okay, maybe not so much older times, uh, this has been seen as a neurological disorder, but now the question is coming up, is it an environmental disorder? You know, and th and that's the phase thing that we see when we, when, it, when we have one kid in the facility come out, suddenly there will be a lot of questions. Suddenly there'll be a lot of expression. Suddenly, 
And as, as clinicians, everybody's trained to leave space for it and let people run through, but it's an environmental experience. So how do we, how do we, how do we address this when a parent says, what happened? How, how, come you're, how come you're gay? What happened? Well, first of all, what I want to say in keeping with the thread to answer your question is that I got big. I got bigger than the box that I was put in when I was born. I gave myself permission, my family gave myself permission, and, um, and, and growing culture started to give me permission to get big. Yeah, and what I have to say to that is that, and I'll say this a million times for the rest of my life, that <laughs> being trans is neither a threat nor a sickness. Um, and so that came up when we were talking about, you know, safety in bathrooms. It comes up when we're talking about diagnoses in the DSM, right. um, the clinicalization, the medicalization of being trans. Um, being trans or gender variant in any way is definitely seen, um, because it's a deviation from the norm, is seen as something that needs to be treated and something that needs to be healed and something that must have originated from an original wound. Um, and that's not to say that trans folks don't hold trauma um, or don't experience violence or don't experience wounding um, or other things that may need to be healed. But not every trans person seeks out therapy because they're trans and they don't know what to do about that. Um, right. You know, we know that trans people um, may have higher risks for addiction or for suicidal ideation or for, um, you know, different mental health experiences. But those don't always stem because they're because they're trans. And to summarize what Luca is saying, um, I just breezed over Time Magazine, a portion, and I, I wish I had uh, a better reference. Um, but the part that I breezed over real quick is uh, studies that are showing that the, um, the uh, stigma and the pain, um, psychological pain that trans folks experience is we're attributing it now with clarity um, more to societal wounds than wounds of being transgender. Mm -hmm. So you're so not being able to have expression that's that's a birthright is causing wounds. Yeah, and we look at um, minority cultures of all intersectionalities right. um, and alcoholism, right? Poverty, you know, all of these wounds, these um, depression, anxiety. Uh, risks that are up in rates compared to normative society. They're not because your skin is black. Um, they're not because your gender is expansive. They're because society can't contain you. Which again, that, that kind of goes back to what I was saying at the beginning about that, the concept of ego, that Osho is saying that ego is the state under which society can survive. And society doesn't give a shit about the individual. It's not interested in the individual's survival. So what I hear is, is that your gender is a threat to my ego. And so therefore I invalidate it through not understanding it and will consciously or subconsciously Act oppress it. Misgendering, that happens in a lot of really subtle ways. Misgendering, talk about that. Teachable moment. Yes, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, is that like saying, okay, you guys, um, it could be, that's a pretty common way of referring okay. to a group. I'm speaking more specifically to um, assuming someone's gender pronouns specifically um, or referring to someone who you know is trans, who um, is a trans man, say, and referring to them as she and maybe their old name or their dead name, uh, if that's what they call it. Um, misgendering as in referring to someone as the incorrect gender. Um, and that happens sometimes unintentionally and can be avoided by asking someone what their gender pronouns are, offering your own um, to make sure that you're referring to someone correctly, checking assumptions that you have, right, about um, about who might be in a room. Uh, I feel misgendered when I'm with a group of friends and we're all called ladies because um, I'm not a woman. And so when someone assumes that I am, that's misgendering me. That happens in a lot of really subtle ways sometimes. So I hear that. And my egoic response <laughs> is to say, so before I can talk to you, I got to find out how to talk to you. And is there an assumption that that's a problem? That's the, I think that's the answer right there is that how come that's a problem? Mm -hmm. And I think the only way to answer that question is to say, because I've always referred to my child as a boy. For 16 years, I've known this to be my son. And now my son is telling me that they're not my son. 
that they're actually queer or my daughter or sometimes my son and say so I, on Thursdays call me this and I know and, and I don't want that to be insultive but watching a f some friends go through this and and find, watching them try to find comfort in every day finding out what their own child is it's very it's tough for them but it's because that they've they boxed everything up I get that piece well here's what I've said to my family um, especially in the beginning when they were um, struggling more than they are now. It's been a couple of years. Um, I, I know that if I go into a coffee shop, I'm going to be misgendered because my gender is non-binary and very few people are going to assume that I'm non-binary and use these ears and pronouns. So if they call me sir, they're misgendering me. If they call me ma'am, they're misgendering me. Okay. Um, and I, I know that to be true. I experience that as a lot of trans folks do, um, you know, multiple times a day. That's not what's upsetting to me. Uh, what's upsetting to me is that there are a, a select few people in my life that I share more about who I am with. Um, I tell my family my hopes and dreams for the future. Um, you know, my failures, uh, all the more intimate details about myself. And when they don't care or when they intentionally don't use that information, I feel hurt. That could be information about, um, you know, when I know somebody's dog is, um, is sick and maybe they may have to put their dog down, I ask about their dog. I don't pretend like they don't have a dog. So it's a, it's a human thing. It's not a gender thing. Some of these answers, like I'm, I'm just kind of really sitting back and thinking about how I've spoken to people through the years, clients, friends, kids that I absolutely adore. And I didn't mean to, you know, and uh, that's why I want to do this, because I don't want to do it anymore. And I don't didn't understand where I was causing pain and where I wasn't. And as an adult, as an adult who works with kids, as a parent, so your kid your kid comes out and there's a transition to make. First, for any transition, the parent has to reconcile that a transition needs to be made. And that that's gonna be hard because you bought the pink clothes when they were a baby and you painted the room and there's a rejection that takes place. And, and the expressive nature of the queer community um, feels a lot like rejection to a parent. This is who I gave birth to. This is who I named. This is who I dressed. This is who I changed. This is who I, and now, how do you as a parent not feel rejected? Yeah, I don't, I don't have an answer to that, but I would say that there's a lot of value in meeting, you know, your child in that experience of rejection. It's like, wow, this is really painful to feel like, all of this effort and time I put into something is not being acknowledged or respected. And, and, you know, imagining what it would be like for your child to say, to have the experience of all this, you know, self-exploration and, and inquiry and, and time that I've considered who I am and like, who's truly me. And then that's not, you know, that's not being respected in the larger society or by my teachers or my, you know, therapist which, you know, sadly happens a lot, um, wow. that there is a, there's maybe a potential meeting place in that experience of rejection. It's not so much about how do I never feel rejected? It's, you know, it's more like, how do I be with the enormity of the sadness or the, the pain that I feel here, you know, and then can I connect from that space with, with this person? And yeah. not blame someone else for that feeling that you're having. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, Similarly to how uh, Soren offered zero experience, um, I want you know to speak what my experience has been like with my family um, in this conversation. And you know, this is you know personal for all of us. Um, this is lived experiences we're all walking with every day. But um, something that was really important for me to communicate with my mom, who I'm closest to in my immediate family, um, in coming out as trans and non-binary, is that the thing I needed her to um, understand the most is that. While I have discovered more of who I am and how that doesn't fit into who we all thought I was um, or who I, who we thought I should be, I am still her kid. I'm still the person she's always loved. I'm still, um, you know, all those memories of me being a kid together. Um, I, 
invited her to challenge with me, you know, how, how much that actually had to do with the gender that she thought I was. Um, how much of that love we've shared was actually about me being her little girl and our family's first granddaughter. Um, and how much of it was like you've, you know, like you said, you know, we overcomplicate it sometimes <clears throat> and can get lost in that fear of not knowing, um, get lost from, from what's really what most important. And so when I offer, or when I come out uh, to new family members, which is happening, um, you know, the more I'm interacting with extended family members and the more my transition is more public, the thing I offer first is uh, I'm sharing with you this part of my experience because I want to be close to you, um, because I want you to be part of my life. Um, and I've reached a point where if you can't acknowledge who I am, um, while it's not always as harsh, like in a lot of ways, you just by, um, by effect of that, like by natural consequence of that, you won't be as much a part of my life as you uh, may want to be, or as I may want you to be, or as you have been. Um, so, I mean, when we're talking about parents specifically, you know, I think that I strongly suggest that parents find other parents to talk about, you know, we, we're available to have those conversations. There are many therapists who are, um, but having other parents, uh, it can feel really isolating and overwhelming, I think, to be like, I don't know where to start with this. Everything I thought I knew about my kid and how to be a parent is kind of being challenged right now. Um, it can feel that big. Um, and to relate to other parents, I think, is really crucial in that. There's many organizations, one of which specific to Colorado is called TIES, Trans Youth Education Support Network, um, where parents can get connected with other um, parents. But, you know, I think it's natural to spiral into that place of, um, of overwhelm and being like, you know, afraid that this means everything you did was wrong and that feeling of failure, you know, and I, I want to um, invite families and parents to, to, to really, you know, take it one step at a time, right? And like, look at what's actually being communicated. And while there's room for all that fear to come up, um, to really encourage parents to not um, then put that sort of blame or shame on their kid. Um, because that's a huge, that's a huge fear I know I've had and I know a lot of trans folks have is that like, I don't actually know if I can hold space for how upset my parents might be, even if they're not upset at me, even if they, sure. even if I know I'm loved, which I feel very lucky as a trans person to know I am in my family. Um, it's still like, oh God, like if I have to go through everything I just went through and for myself to discover who I am with every uh, person in my family now, like. I don't know if I can do that. And so making sure that as a person who is supporting a person who's trans or transitioning, um, that you are supported yourself in other areas, I think is really crucial. So in addition to the experience of potentially feeling rejected as a parent, that what you've created is now saying what you've created, you've identified wrong. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm actually this, mm -hmm. um, there's also the piece of, and now this, this being that I love, that loves me enough to come out to me and tell me what's really going on, still has to go to school, mm -hmm. still has to one day get health insurance, still has to one day. And now none of these things sound safe. Right. So my kid comes out to me, what do I do about school? And, and I have seen both. I have, I have watched a, a, a young man come out to his school and the school rally. I'm talking small town, mountain Colorado school. Everybody's like, Jesus, like have the SWAT team on standby. Mm -hmm. And the whole school rallied. It was mm -hmm. incredible. Should have been on the news. But what we hear about is the horrendous bullying. And then as adults, it, it continues to follow you and, you and your partner can't get insurance to cover each other. People are going to make having children. So as a parent, what do I do? How do I advocate? Oh, I was going to say that there are um, some parents who actually respond negatively to their parent coming out in my experience. Yeah, to their child coming out in my experience because they are so worried that life is going to be hard. Yes, you're on out. Yeah, you try out of out of the desire to protect and I'm using quote fingers love your child. You don't want them to come out at school. You actually ask them to keep it a secret longer for school till they're out of middle school, high school, whatever. Yeah, and and actually, what studies will show is that 
um, a child or a person is safer if they have one, at least one supportive person on their side. So actually, it's not a matter of um, what we just said. It's more a matter of do you want a safe trans kid or a not safe trans kid? Um, and a safe trans kid um, is going to negotiate the same struggles as a not safe trans kid, but they're going to have more people on their side. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, and sometimes I do have to say this actually to the other families I see who are not supportive because of their own bias and prejudice. Um, and sometimes I have said, would you like a dead trans child or an alive trans child? Because either way, you have a trans child, and now we need to, to reconcile how to support this person. Um, because the truth is. What else? Give me more advocacy tips as a parent. What do I do about the school? What do I do about church? What do I do about the family? Mm -hmm. You know, I think uh, regardless of what the, the advocacy looks like and what the situations you might find yourself in where that's needed, for me, it all comes back to uh, that only being sustainable, that uh, expending that energy in your life is only sustainable if you really value why you're doing it. Um, that's something we talk about in our trainings, too. Of You know, you can try to memorize a bunch of vocab. Um, you can try to learn all the lingo, get the pronouns right. But if you don't actually really care about it, um, it's not going to sustain. You might have a couple weeks of being like correcting people on their pronouns and like trying to be a you know super ally. But um, the parents I know who are really uh, f who fiercely advocate for their children um, do it from that place of undying love for their child. Um, that same source that is unconditional and is relentless um, for a lot of parents and. That's that's sort of the well they pull from, right? So as far as what the the actual tangible, um, more logistic things look like, um, that you're, I see you nodding. No, I was just gonna say the thing is, is that there is no right way. There's no right way. Um, it's like asking, like, how do I be a passionate lover? Um, there's no there's no way to say, well, these are the steps of being, um, um, you know, intimate with somebody. Um, really, what it is is engaging in relationship and once you engage in relationship wow what do you know all of a sudden you're um, more interested in having these conversations learning yourself um, your heart is opening up and and then the answers that are appropriate for that situation for your family for your church start to present themselves mm -hmm. and again, in my own experience it depends on you know the age of your child of course um, if you have an adult child or an older adolescent child who's coming out to you, um, I, mean, I think it's appropriate in some ways to ask, you know, do you want me to correct everyone on your name and pronouns in our church community? Um, something that I would like hearing from someone I'm sharing that space with um, versus, you know, if you have a kid who's, you know, prepubescent, maybe um, you're making more of those decisions on their behalf as a way to protect them in their school or whatever. Um, and I think that, like Soren said, there's no one clear cut way, but you're taking into account, um, you know, the receptiveness of those you're talking to, you know, is this, is advocating for my child in this situation going to put them more at risk? Um, and then you're weighing risk, right? You're weighing, you always have to be considering like, or acknowledging that there is a risk of not being out or seen or validated for who you are. So I think a lot of the time it's like, my kid is only going to be, the thought is that my only, my kid is going to be unsafe if they're, um, you know, victimized by physical violence, or my kid is going to be unsafe if they never receive health care they need. Well, while those are very real risks that trans people face, there's also the risk of um, being asked to not be who you are and being asked to hide and being asked to, you know, feel shame for for you being a deviant from the norm. So you're, you're weighing risk in a lot of ways as a parent, um, and there isn't there isn't a complete escaping um, your child being unsafe, but there is there are a lot of ways to um, to have your child know that they're not alone in that and know that you are willing to have difficult conversations on their behalf or when they're not around, um, that you're willing and able to respect and validate their identities even when they're not around. Um, and then, yeah, start looking, right? If we see to see queerly, what does that mean? Um, 
to start looking at all the ways that your child might be um, systematically being having their resources be restricted um, or being pathologized or being um, put into certain boxes by society and then challenging those just as a person who cares about that. Um, We're just getting into the time period where um, children's shows, movies, that having a, a, a character in the movie or in the book or in the show being gay or lesbian is, um, I see it becoming normal. That, that if, you, if you look across the board at all the popular shows, that this, the, the concept of, of uh, homosexuality is, everybody's like, okay, I can watch a popular show with this now and feel comfortable. Now, we have a question here. And, and I don't know if my, my current example alludes to it, but my assumption would be that if there's a, 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 a transgender um, experience happening, that there's also an experience happening with this person's sexuality. Are they separate? Are they connected? If, you're, if your child is going to go through transition, is there going to be, <laughs> all of you answer it at the same time, how about that? Is there going to be can I expect something to happen with the sexuality as well? Well, the first way that I want to answer the question is that gender and sexuality are different. Um, and so um, gender is your experience of yourself, um, the role you play in society. Um, you know, it's how it's, it's your relationship to your, yourself. And sexuality is your attraction to other people. Um, the confusing part, I think, is that um, some labels for sexuality self-reference gender identity. So let's say someone who identifies as a lesbian um, is probably communicating to, to you that she identifies as either a cis or trans woman and is attracted to cis and or trans women herself. Um, but one of the, the um, pushbacks I get often from um, parents who are struggling again with new out trans children is, well, or adolescents is, well, they've always liked boys. How can they be transgender? Um, your kid may still always like boys, um, but how they relate to themselves and who they know themselves to be, they're telling you is shifting in, the, in respect to their gender. So I would say the short answer is no, you can't assume that someone who is coming out as transgender is also struggling or, or exploring their sexuality. Um, but it is, you know, I also want to say it's safe to say, and we encourage that people at all ages in life are exploring sexuality and exploring their gender, that it doesn't stop with, I landed on this label and that's going identi to identify me to my grave. Mm -hmm. um, that it's okay to have all these things um, be constant explorations for the rest of your life. Um, but it would be, I think, um, maybe painful for someone to um, make the assumption that because I'm coming out as um, a non-binary person, that I also don't know who I'm attracted to anymore. That that's... <laughs> like, that's like saying, you know, I'm coming out as non-binary. Do you still like hamburgers? Yeah. Like, you're just, it's, this, is, this is the piece that I'm talking about, is, is not knowing what it's connected to, how it's connected, or why it's not. Exactly. Um, a couple things. On that note, you know, that's an awesome way to start getting curious about one's own experience of the gender identity, right? If a cisgender parent um, is like, what's it connected to and why, you know, start asking yourself those questions. We all have gender identities. Um, we all have experiences of ourselves, felt senses of our gender. Um, so get curious about what that's about for yourself too. Um, and that can be a way to understand it more. Um, and then with the, the sort of coming out and relating it to sexuality, I think um, something that does happen quite a bit is, and was true in my own experiences, you know, sexuality was a way that I um, knew I may be deviant from the norm in some way um, in my identities. Um, and I had many different iterations of coming out and exploring that because that, and I was never questioning gender um, explicitly because that language was never available to me. I was never really given the option of be not being um, a female as I was assigned at birth. So I think that can also be part of some trans folks experience and can uh, comp 
feel complicated to someone who's trying to understand how their kid is coming out as trans when they came out as bi when they were a kid and they came out as a lesbian and then um, they use the word gay and now they're saying they're pansexual and then um, maybe they're lesbian but now they're trans and they're a trans man like how does how do they all relate and just in my own experience I think um, you know sometimes exploring one's sexuality with when there's not a context for exploring one's gender can be a way of being like how do I how do I fit and was for me a way of being like why don't any of these sexual orientations feel like they fit um, and it wasn't until I was able to question my gender more that I understood that um, the reason why the lesbian box didn't fit um, or the reason why the gay box didn't fit or the bisexual box didn't fit is because I didn't fit as a woman into any of those boxes. Um, and so my sexuality got to get more expansive and my understanding of my relationship styles and structures and orientations got to get more expansive and more accurate um, once I knew who I was, which um, I'm associating with coming out as trans. And I just want to add to, you know, I think it can be a little bit, um, it's just worth also mentioning that, that gender identity and sexual attraction do have overlaps in some ways. And just from a clinical perspective and more anecdotally, I don't really know about research with this, but you know, um, some, some people that begin transitioning and start taking hormones, they do start to notice like, oh, I'm, I'm who I'm attracted to or what I'm attracted to is, is, is shifting. Um, so I think sometimes it can be like they're never related at all. Um, and maybe that's part of just really detangling these like really embedded assumptions that they are the same thing. It's, they're not the same thing, but they do sometimes relate to each other. Yeah. So. So, so once again, be fluid with that concept. It may be connected. It may not. Right. Be open to it by being either. Be curious. Right. Yeah. The thing to challenge, I think, is like, okay, if someone is a straight cisgender man, like they're going to always have relationships that look like this, or because they're a cisgender man, rather, they are going to be heterosexual. Right. And they're going to want to marry one woman, and they're going to want to have kids. Right. There's all these assumptions we put on someone's gender that really um, just don't fit most people um, as predictors of how you're going to live your life and what you're going to end up liking. Um, so, so let's, let's, let's hit the reverse because we got to start to wrap up here. Let's hit the reverse. Now you see your kids struggling. They haven't come out to you, but you see it and you, you've been open. You've been aware. You've been researching. You've been supported and supportive. And now you want to see if you want to make the approach, like you want to make the first approach to let them know, hey, this is a safe house, kiddo. What do you do? Did any of you experience that? Well, I think the biggest thing is exposure. Um, is um, so you know before I would directly confront someone about something that um, you know maybe new and scary, um, I would want to make sure that um, I left a lot of signs and cues, and so. Um, you know, maybe uh, renting shows that I know as a parent um, have positive portrayals of queer and trans people in them, um, of learning inclusive language and using it. Um, and so having my young person witness that, um, that I um, am open, that I'm learning, that I'm using, uh, then I think will invite. So it, to me, it's about a parenting style of, um, you know, going in and digging for versus creating the opening for someone to, to step in and come closer to you. Um, that's how I would start for sure. Yeah. No matter how you're, no matter what sex your child was assigned at birth and no matter how they identify their gender to you, uh, which can happen as early as toddler years, um, challenging parents to not um, put all those assumptions on kids, right? If you have a kid who is assigned female at birth, like give them the options of taking multiple different types of extracurriculars, you know, not reinforcing that like they need to uh, be developing these maternal instincts and they need to be developing, um, you know, being able to articulate their emotions in a really clear way or um, being lenient on their boundaries, all these different things we put on kids who are assigned female at birth, the same for kids who are assigned male at birth, um, before we even know how they identify um, their gender, 
we have a lot of expectations and assumptions we make about who they are and should be. And so I think um, even if you're, you're like kind of guessing that your kid might be about to come out to you in whatever way, um, letting them know that you aren't holding those assumptions and those cultural stereotypes with a lot of rigidity and expectation can be a way to feel like your kid has permission to to communicate to you that they don't fit those things. Yeah. All right. So final question before I get your guys' conduct. <laughs> before I get your contact information so that people can come to you for support. Are you confident that the world is going to change and make space for this? It's already changing. Yeah. I'm confident in what I've seen in terms of our growth this past year and a half. Um, the response and the the need that's present for this um, specifically queer organization. Um, yes, the world will change. Uh, it's always changing. And I think that we can all truly make a difference in how we're um, thinking about these things and creating spaces for these conversations. Um, and really it's just, you know, I think it can be very complicated and it can also be very simple that, you know, this is really about respecting other people and acknowledging the truth of other people um, and caring about other people enough to to have those conversations and to, to, to challenge your own ego and all the little hideouts that your identity has um, and, and how you're demanding other people show up in the world for your identity to maintain itself. Um, you know, I do see that there's a lot um, in the culture that's that's showing interest in having those conversations. So I'm hopeful in that way. How do, how do how do parents how do teens how do kids find you guys? Yeah. I, I have to I have to say it out. See, yeah. everyone just should have been from the south and have y'all be part y'all. of there. because it's been such an easy <laughs> transition for me to just use y'all more because I grew up in Texas already. I I just I I just, just, <laughs> just want to say like that's my transition with the language with the with how I support with how I connect. It, it, there's there's 47 years of habit. Yeah, and watch how either you, Aaron, or watch yourself, listeners, how you might say in your frustration, this is too complicated. And like yeah. I was saying before, and then put it on the person whose experience is baffling to you, mm -hmm. that their request for gender neutral pronouns is too complicated. Right. It's not complicated, it's complex. And we're all complex and that's okay. And when you take the time to get to know someone, um, you don't have to remember these things. They beca become part of knowing that person and how you talk about the person, it's relationship. It becomes part of the identity of the relationship. All right, so how do people get in touch with y'all? So you can go to our website, www.queerasterisk.com. Um, I'll just Q-U-E-E-R-A-S-T-E-R-I-S-K.com. Uh, we're also on Facebook, um, facebook.com backslash queer asterisk. And um, we have an office in Boulder. We're based out of Boulder. We also see clients in Denver and Longmont. Um, so you can, yeah. And our, and if you just want to give us a call, somebody will, will definitely respond. Our number is 720-507-6161. And you can also email us at info at queer asterisk.com. Am I missing it? No. Okay. This was awesome. Thank you. I, um, thank you guys. <laughs> thank, thank you all for coming. Um, you're right, Soren, it is hard. And it, it is, it, you're right, Luke, it is about the relationship. If you care, you'll change it. And, and that is what I got from today, is that it is hard. I love what you said, Frida, about the, the comfort of that ego, that, that you just, you wanna brush everything else away so that you can stay in your space. Um, this conversation is uncomfortable for me because of what happened to me when I was younger. But that doesn't, the, the, the desire to be in discomfort because no change takes place when we're comfortable. We, nothing happens when we're comfortable. Mm -hmm. and this is where change happens. And it's, and it's not comfortable here. It's not comfortable. My experience with that young man that I was relating to y'all earlier 
it's not comfortable and I'm still trying to reconcile it in my head. And I don't know if I did something wrong. I've been accused of doing something wrong. But in going back, because it was all written, mm-hmm. I don't see it. And now I want to go back and read it again to see if I, if I can see it this time. Mm-hmm. Not for my own ego satisfaction, but because I don't want to hurt somebody. This, this is a process of coming together, not separation is what causes our pain. And the, the queer community, if I'm using this term correctly now, experiences so much separation and 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 to say hey what organizations are you and to not be able to really think of a good one that sucks so that's what this show is about is is to address my own comfort levels and to make sure parents knew who to call yeah well i think one of the the ways that we can be allies and advocates is to provide platforms for other people's voices that don't necessarily get heard a lot of the time so you know i'm sure i'm speaking on behalf of all of us i'm really grateful that you've taken the time to you know have us on your show and ask these hard questions awkward questions um it means a lot well there's a lot of questions thank you and there's a lot of questions we didn't get to and i want to get to them so let's do another show yeah okay All right, folks, you guys all know, y'all all know the routine and it's you take care of yourself first, you take care of your adult relationship second, and you take care of your children third, because in that way we do our best work with our children. I want to thank my guests, uh, Luca, Frida, and Soren from Queer Asterisk. Uh, Get in touch with them. Find them on Facebook. Um, and, uh, for those of you who don't know, Soren was one of our interns way back in the day when we were, when we were, um, just building up here in Estes park. And it was great to see him at a conference recently and know that he was out there doing, uh, your work you've come home to, to yourself and your work. And that's awesome. So congratulations on that. Um, all right, folks, we'll talk again. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Beyond Risk and Back. Join us each week for your connection to experts in adolescent health and wellness, recovery, and responsibility, and also to listen to teens talk about their lives in crisis. For more information on our program for struggling teens or me, please go to firemountainprograms.com, join us on Facebook at Fire Mountain Residential Treatment Center, or at Beyond Risk and Back. Visit our YouTube channel at Fire Mountain RTC for even more support with our parent training videos. Special thanks to Mental Health News Radio for their continued love and support of our program. Please go to mentalhealthnewsradio.com to see all of their podcasts. Feel free to email me at Aaron at firemountainprograms.com.